Hear the word of the Lord. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judge, judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Kristen. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Peace be with you. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we continue our um, series um, through the book of James. And we're studying James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 on the nature of true change. True change from uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Um, I had a fairly busy week um, this week. Uh, and um, a lot of ups and downs. Kind of personally feel tired for a variety of reasons. Yesterday, we had a birthday party, and uh, we celebrated my oldest son's, um, he, he turned 72 months old yeah, um, <laughs> a couple of days ago. I don't, I've said before, I don't know what the rules is on it, and I'm just being consistent. People start out by saying like one month, two month, three month. I'm just being consistent with it, and I guess I did it wrong. So <laughs> anyway, but um, he he turned 72 months, and as you know, those of you who have been 72 months at some point in your life, that's a pretty, pretty big time in your life. So we had a, what they call a birthday party, and, uh, which involves fun, which is generally something that I try to avoid. Um, and so we, um, we had cake and food, and, and there was laughter and whatever else. And then eventually, eventually we had this discussion. It, was a, a, it wasn't really a game, but it was a pseudo game. It was supposed to be fun. And so we went through these questions. It was like, would you rather questions? Would you rather do this or do that? Would you rather have this or have that? And so the question, and I, I was the last one to participate. I need to kind of see things at a distance, figure out if I want to participate, which generally I don't. But, um, <laughs> and so 
Anyway, it was like, come on, it's a birthday party. Your son turned 72 months, let's do it. So I took a, took a chance and started answering the questions. And the question, the question, the only one that I remember, there was one about animals, but there was another one that the only one I really remember was, would you rather be praised, feared, trusted, envied, or imitated? And I said, yes, is how I answered the question. And then they were like, you can't, no, that's wrong. And I was like, well, it's supposed to be fun. I thought this would be fun if I was all five of those things. Like, you see what I mean? Like, it's supposed to be fun, but there's these rules and you can't have fun the way you, you see what I mean? See how hard it is? Maybe I'm making it hard, but. So anyway, I was like, well, I want to be all five of those things. Why wouldn't I want to be praised and envied? And I can't even remember. I wanted them all. But anyway, so no, you can only pick one. It's like, would you rather? Would you rather be praised or envied or trusted or feared or imitated? So I went with, I went with the theologian Master P, who is a hip-hop artist, if you're familiar with the Dirty South. And he said, there are only imitators or innovators, and I clearly am an innovator. I mean, look at me, right? It's nobody more innovative than me. And so I said, well, I want to be imitated. And so, whatever, there was discussion, and I kind of checked out. I was just like, okay, I, I got through the fun portion of this, this birthday party. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, why, do I, why did I choose imitated? Well, there's a collection of reasons why. I've watched, I've watched kids enough to know that there's something inherent in the human condition that you want to be imitated, okay? People come up to a baby, and what do they do? They want to be imitated by the baby, right? And so what do they do? They smile. Why? Because they want the baby to imitate them for the baby to do what back to them? Smile, Right? Now, sometimes we come up and smile with the baby and the baby starts crying, right? And it's like, oh no, that's the wrong thing to do. Well, what do we want? In that moment, we want to be imitated. Kids are imitators, okay? Kids, so kids will, one kid will start dancing and then what will other kids often start doing? They start dancing, right? What are they doing? They're imitating. Because there's something about humans that we imitate by nature. Now, even kids will imitate. I mean, it's it generally causes a conflict later on whenever, like, mom says to the kid, where did you learn to do that? And they're like, dad, or, you know, like, why did you say that? Well, dad says it all the time, right? And it's like, oh, no, no. air's going to be a rough night at home, you know. Oh, well, what is that? It's imitation. You're going to imitate somebody, whether good or bad. There's something just basic about humanity that imitation is is central, it's key. And then for that matter, whoever it is that you imitate will change you. But for good or bad, whoever imitates you, whoever you imitate will change you. The same's true in the Christian life. Whoever you imitate will change you for good or for bad. And, and we're Christians. And so who is it that we are ultimately to imitate? Well, there's one element where we're to imitate, imitate other mature Christians. Paul will say, imitate me as I what? As I imitate Christ. So you ever have a, a Christian in your life where you're like, I want to be like that person. Why do I want to be like that person? Maybe they're compassionate. Maybe they're joyful. Maybe they're um, steadfast. Maybe they're faithful. 
Maybe they're strong. Maybe there's certain things about them that make you say, I want to be like that person. Because what that person emulates and the way they carry themselves, the way they handle themselves, reminds me of ultimately the person I want to imitate, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look to imitate him, you will be changed. That's the main point of the message. That's the thing that I'm concerned about conveying. And this, my prayer for you today is that you hear God saying to you that we will be changed when we behold our God. Who, whoever you put in front of you, whoever you see in front of you, is who's going to change you. And we're going to be changed when we behold our God. And you might be asking, how is it that we're going to be changed whenever we behold our God? Well, there are three ways that I believe James teaches us that we'll be changed. First, we will be changed inwardly. First, there will change will come to our inward desires as we behold God. Second, we will change. Change will come to us when we humble ourselves. And then third, change will come when we get in our rightful place. Three things that we'll see here in the passage. First, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we will change our inward desires as we behold God. So James is, James chapter 4 is essentially the, the centerpiece of the book. It's kind of pulling together a lot of things that he's talked about before and he'll go back over afterwards. James likes to introduce an idea and then kind of reintroduce it and pull it in in, in these different places. And so here in James chapter 4, he's, He's concerned. The, the core of what James is concerned about is, is maturity, is, is a working faith, as we've titled this sermon series. It's a faith that, that engages the world. And, and for James, James is smart. James knows what Jesus has taught and what the prophets has also said is that, that what's inside of you comes out of you. Okay, And so Jesus will say, out of the mouth the heart speaks, which is probably one of the most pointed things our Lord Jesus has ever said. And, and James knows that, and that's the framework of what he has to say. And so what was going on in this church, they had all kinds of things that were, that were problematic in their day. Persecution was beginning to take place in a very public way. And so Christians were worshiping publicly at the time in the synagogues, but they were being drug out in the streets and they were being beaten and killed. This is part of the reason why Christians eventually go to their own private homes, because it was safer. And so they, they have this that's going on. They've got, a, they've got external pressures and persecution. But then what started happening was the Christians started turning on themselves. They started having fights amongst themselves. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I mean, one of, the, one of the kind of the worst experiences in some ways is to be a part of a church that's fighting amongst themselves. And so what is the reason for all the fighting? What's all the reason for all the bickering? Well, James says, the reason why you have conflicts is you. Look here with me in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive. 
You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on what you get, on your pleasures. Reasons why you have fights and quarrels among you is you. You can't get along with your coworkers. You can't get along with your parents. You can't get along with your spouse. You can't get along with your fellow students. You can't get along with people of the church. You can't get along with people outside of the church. You know what's most consistent about that scenario? You. Well, if it was me, it was me, right? You're the consistent party in that. Just really problematic. I mean, in some ways, it's just, it's just so much more easy to blame something on somebody else, isn't it? But that, that's an old lie. That's an, that's an old symptom of the fall. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? <clears throat> when God showed up, God asked Adam a question. And he says, what have you done? Have you eaten the fruit that I told you not to eat? He had one command. And then he says what? Well, the woman you gave me. Immediately, immediately, what's coming out of his heart? Well, what's coming out of his heart is, is, is all that was within there already, shortly after the fall. And he's saying to God, you put me in this mess, and she put me in this mess. And James is saying, hey, let's be honest with ourselves. We put ourselves into this mess. It'd be easy to think about Adam and Eve. I've thought to myself at times, I'm like, you know, if I, if I was in Adam's place, I mean, surely I would have got it right. And it's kind of like, well, if you're, you're kind of honest with yourself, it's like, yeah, no, you wouldn't have got it right. You got yourself into all the messes that you're in, and if you were in his place, you'd done the same thing. And so what is it that's inside that starts to come out? James says it's unmet desires. James says that everybody's got unmet desires, and that's what pushes them outward. So there's an internal battle that takes place, and then relationally it moves you outward. It moves you against people. So is the solution simply to not have desires? It's not the message of Christianity. It's not the message of the Bible. There are certain religions in the East, Eastern religions that will say, well, your problem is that you have desires, and so if you'll just have no desires, then you'll be okay. Then there won't be suffering in the world. It's like that's not... That's not the case in Christianity. One, to not have desires is to have a desire not to have a desire. It's contradictory in and of itself. But in Christianity, the, the concern is not necessarily you'll have no desires. It, it's partly where do you express your desires? Where do you move towards? So everybody has some sort of desire and it, it may move them backwards. It might move them relationally away from people. Sometimes our desires move us to draw near to people, maybe for praise and for encouragement. But at times our desires move us against people in a more aggressive type of posture. And James is saying the reason why you've got fight and quarrels among you is because, because you have all these inward desires and you're moving against people. And it's causing all kinds of bickering and arguments. So what do you do with your desire? James says, you know why you have unmet desire? It's because you don't say to God, please. You do not have because you do not ask God. So part of what the Scriptures will believe is the Scriptures believe that we do have desires. And guess what? We're to express our desires towards the Lord. We're to express our desires in prayer to God and we're to simply say to God, please, God, please, I want this or please, I want 
a spouse, or please, I want more freedom, or please, I want some relief from my suffering. Whatever it is, there's all these different kind of unmet desires, and the scriptures state that you can, you can come to the Lord and say, this is what I want. Jesus starts out when he teaches us to pray. He says what? Our Father, what is that meant to do? In Jesus' understanding, and in the Bible's understanding, the essence of being a father, not merely, there's more than just this, but in one sense, the essence of being a father and God being our father is that he will provide for us in our time of need. Jesus will say, hey, don't worry about the clothes that you wear or the food. Don't worry about any of those kind of things. Look at the birds. The birds always get, get fed. Look at the lilies of the field. Like the field's always covered with lilies and beautiful flowers. And how is that possible? Well, that's possible because God is making sure to provide for birds and lilies. And you know what? You're more important than birds and lilies to God. And so if you have a desire, whatever it may be, express it to the Lord. In one sense, he already knows. But say to God, please. And then James says, James says God will answer us. It's clear in the scriptures, God answers all of our prayers. Now he answers it in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. As far as I can gather, those are the only three ways that God answers any, any prayer. And James says, at times, God says no. Why? Because we will get what it is that we want, and they will, then we will waste God's good gifts to satisfy our own um, illicit desires. The reason why there are fights and quarrels are because there's something inside of us that says, I want this. And it turns us outward against other people. Our problem is not necessarily that we don't have a plan to get what we want. Our problem is not necessarily you know, that we don't have a strategy, that we don't have some laid out series of goals that we need to achieve. We don't have that, therefore we don't have it, we can't get what we want. It's not necessarily our problem is that we don't have a plan. Our problem is, is we want something and we don't turn towards the Lord. We turn against another person and then we start fighting. James, how we apply James 4 verses 1 through 3, first it's a call to self-examination. It's a call to answer this question, what do you want? Just How do you answer that question? What do you want? Maybe it's happiness. Is that a bad thing? By no means. It's not a bad thing to want to be happy. But, but what's going to make you happy? What do you want to make you happy? Uh, maybe it's you just want peace. You know, you want to be able to, to I'll, I'll have this with myself. Like, I just want peace at all costs. I want to be able to come and do whatever it is that I want to do. And there's no demands. There's no disruptions. It's just quiet and lovely. I, like I'm even kind of going there in my mind now. Ah, oh, wouldn't that be great? And guess what happens? Anything that disrupts that kind of ideal that I have of this peaceful, serene um, experience, guess what happens? Anything that disrupts it, turn against, right? Whether that's, whether that's my family, whether that's 
my friends, whoever it is, whether that's just the ongoing demands of being a human or, or being a worker, an employee, or whatever it is, anything that disrupts that ideal, the thing that I want, turn against it. What do you want? How do you answer that question? If you got this, then you would be happy. Then you would be safe. Then you would be loved. What do you want? Next thing to ask ourselves is, how much prayerless effort do you exert? How much prayerless effort do you exert? What James says, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And have you ever had that experience in your life where you're, you're giving yourself to something over and over and over and it's just going absolutely nowhere and then you stop and you say to the Lord, Lord, this is what I want and the Lord provides. For some of us, we just apply the basic part of this passage just by saying to God, please tell God what it is that you want and watch him place, uh, invite God into a place that he can provide for you. He's your father in heaven and he's, he's overjoyed to be able to hear your prayers. And you know what? It might be that when we give ourselves to pray and to ask God and to say to God, please, it might be that in that moment, God actually changes our desires and what we thought we wanted, whether it was a new job or, or a new relationship or more stable finances, whatever else. It might be that in that moment, God changes us. And what we want is not necessarily all those things, but we want something different, something deeper, something more lasting, something more important. The reality is, is that when we, when we behold God, we're going to be changed. And inwardly, God's going to change us. Second, we will experience true change when we humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves. So, it was a few years ago, I was serving at a small church um, west of here in southern Indiana. And um, this gentleman and his wife started coming to church and I, um, you know, talk to him and say, you know, I was glad, you know, you guys were here in service, invite him back. And um, the guy would always say, he had a lot of pretty cool sayings, or they were cool to me, I should quantify that. Um, I don't know what you find to be cool. Um, he would say, well, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise, I'll be here next week. Okay, so there were two conditions for him coming back. Thankfully, it wasn't me, to be honest. Uh, as I was most concerned about, is he like, well, as long as you're here, I'm not coming back, um, which I've had said. Clearly, it still bothers me. But <laughs> um, So I was like, all right, Lord willing, I get that. Creek don't rise. Don't get that. And uh, so eventually, the gentleman invited my family over for lunch after worship. And I understood, I understood the first part of it, Lord willing. And that's in James. I get that. But the creek don't rise. Well, he's got a creek that runs by his house and it like emptied into the Ohio River, which was in his backyard. And I was like, ah, now, you know what I mean? Whatever you behold will change you. So I beheld what he was talking about and it changed me. And then, <laughs> and then, um, so we sat down to eat and they made pork chops. And uh, I remember that because I thought it was my last meal for a variety of reasons. They put sage on the pork chops, right? I got really scared because here's what happened. I didn't know the guy had an agenda. His agenda was me. And so we sat down and he said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about some things you've been saying. I was like, oh, great. Like, 
You know, they're dragging me out into the country, you know what I mean? There's creeks and rivers, Lord willing. Lord willing, I go back to church, and the, you know what I mean? The creek don't rise because I'm in it, you know what I mean? So I'm really spinning out. And it's like, well, you're going to die for being a hair protector. Might as well have another pork chop. So I was like, ma'am, can you give me another pork chop before I go to meet my maker? And uh, he said, you know, you've been saying, I had this saying at the time, he said, you've been saying, God helps the helpless. No, I don't agree with that. So, okay. So a little bit was kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not willing to be persecuted for everything I believe. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, eh, I'll rethink some of this stuff if it's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that one, I was like, oh, okay. I kind of settled down a little bit. And he said, and his issue, his issue was God helping the helpless. His issue was this conditional, this condition that I was placing on God's help, and specifically the helpless. And he wanted me to defend my case. Well, I had a variety of reasons why I said that. Now, clearly, I came out of the situation, okay. I'm here, didn't get burned at the stake. And, uh, and all that that I was fearful of. Um, but I didn't change my view. Um, and I don't know that I changed his mind either. And part of the reason for that is here in James chapter 4. Why, why would I have the audacity to say, I mean, doesn't everybody know that God helps those who help themselves? Isn't that the American gospel? The problem is that's the American gospel. It's blasphemous in its nature. There's nothing true about that. It didn't come from like the Apostle Paul. It comes from Ben Franklin, okay? He wasn't a Christian. And this is what James says. Is he, he's going in and, and he's, he speaks about this language. He, he says about these people that they're fighting. He says, you're adulterous people. You, you're making these choices, and if you continue to make these choices, you will make yourself into an enemy of God. Just all this language stacking up these indictments in verse, verses 4 and 5, and it is some of the most pointed language in all of the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament. And then James makes this shift. He says in James chapter 4, verse 6, about God, like, what's God going to do if we are adulterous people, if we fight, if we bicker, if we quarrel, we murder, we covet, we envy, we do all these things, how will God respond to us? He, he should be provoked. He, he should be provoked by that kind of behavior out of his people because they're his people. God has a passionate love for us and he wants, our, he wants us to be com committed to him. He's completely committed to you and I. And so when we, when we stray from the path, whenever we we behave contrary to the confession that Jesus is Lord. It, it, it incites in God a passionate love for us. And so what will he do? James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. And who will he give grace to? Well, it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor 
to the humble. Those are conditional statements. One, thankfully, God's opposition towards us is not unconditional. Okay? You imagine serving a God who's, who's unconditionally opposed to you at all times? No, it's conditioned. God's opposition is conditional on what? On pride. God opposes the proud. But guess what? There's an aspect of God's grace that it is also conditional. Does God have unconditional love and affection for you? Yes, absolutely. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. There's an unconditional aspect to that. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, God says about his people, he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Does God have unconditional love? By all means. But is there an aspect of God's grace that it is conditioned on whether a person is humble? That is clearly taught in the Bible. God helps the helpless. The gentleman, he didn't have an issue with the fact that I had a condition on the grace of God. He had an issue with the fact that I had a condition that the, con, the conditional aspect of the, of the grace of God is that you would say to God, I need you. That you would say to God, please. That you would say to God, please help me. I still believe that. It's in the Bible. It, here, this translation says God shows favor to the humble, but some of your translation says God shows grace to the humble. It's the same thing. Well, there's an aspect of God's grace that he has a reservoir of grace that is available to you. And if you will say to God, I want to drink there, God will give it to you. This is quoted, this, this verse is quoted in some way, shape, or form three times in the Bible. It's taken from Proverbs 3, verse 34, that says what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, twice. One of the things that I've learned, one of the things I've had to learn the hard way is, is you, you have to repeat things to get people's attention. People have to repeat things to get my attention, okay? I have to be like, Travis, Travis, Travis. And it's like, what? Like I, my kids would be like, I said your name 37 times before you paid attention. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm a human. And so God will do this. He will say it over and over and over. Proverbs 3.34, James 4, verse 6. 1 Peter 5.5 says, God opposes the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. It is clear to me from the Bible, God will help you when you can't help yourself. God will help you when you can't help yourself. Our Lord Jesus says about his own mission, he said, don't think that I've come to help the healthy. I didn't come to heal the healthy. That's not possible. What? I came to do what? I came for the sick. Why? For the people who say to God, God, there's something wrong with me. I don't feel good. God, there's something wrong with me. There's something, there's, I, need, I need your healing. I need you to work in my life. I need you to show up. I need you to do something here. And guess what? Guess what it is that God would say to adulterous people who, who have all these lusts and desires and who are fighting? Guess what he would say? He would say, I'm so glad you, you asked. I'm so glad you asked for me to show up because that's what I'm going to do. The hymn writer says, the only fitness that God requires is that you would feel your need of him. So do you feel your need of him? That if the first, in the first point, if the application is what do you want, the second question would be, I guess from this one is, is what do you need? What do you need from God? Do you need him? Some of you are need to be honest to say that yes, you do need him. You know, if you're not a Christian, one of the things that, that we believe essential 
to become a Christian is that you would recognize that your life, that the challenges and the problems in your life are partly, chiefly, because you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know who He is personally. You need to give yourself to Him. It's not that if you give yourself to Him, He's going to make everything in your life perfect. But He will draw near to you. And you will have a relationship with God Himself that will never be broken, regardless of what it is that you think, say, or do from this point on. And the same is true for you, Christian. Regardless of what it is that you've thought this week, said this week, or done this week, if you say to God, please, He he will draw near to you. That is the promise of Scripture. What do you need? If we humble ourselves, God will draw near to us in that time. God helps the helpless. And if you're helpless, He'll change you. And then third, we're going to experience true change when we get in our rightful place. James will keep going on, and and he's going to say to this congregation, he's going to say, you know, you've been at odds with one another. And, and whenever, you, whenever you fight with each other, you, you actually reveal what you believe about God. Look here at what he says in James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks evil against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So James continues this pastoral warning. And and he's clarifying more and more. He's saying that the way I treat you as a as a person, in one sense, but also as another Christian, is that is a direct reflection of of the way I view God. In the Scriptures, there's a deep connection between how we relate to one another as humans and what we believe about God. And James here is talking about the law, but he's really talking about one, one summary commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first time that's quoted in the Bible is in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And it's talking about holding grudges. And it says, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And then God gives the reason why. It's not merely you're to do that to have meaningful life. It's not merely that you're to do that to have a good relationship. It's not merely to do that for your own kind of therapeutic value and your own kind of personal peace. Though those things may be byproducts, those things may be reasons for such a thing. The reason why you will love your neighbor as yourself, according to the original command, is God says, for I am the Lord. In one sense, God says, I'm God, and you're not. And I know better than you. Second, he is God, and the person that that you're at odds with is created in God's image. Third, you're accountable to God. 
Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do. And if it's God, and God is the lawgiver and the judge. So he's the one who writes the rules and he executes them. And so when a person, and, and here's the thing is like, I've seen enough bickering and I've been in all involved enough bickering to where with other people to where it's like, well, that's just people, you know, they just behave that way, you know. You're always going to have fighting in a church. You're always going to have people who are at odds with one another. And there's a, there's kind of a, I know for myself, there's like a flippant nature to it. And then you read something like James where James was like, look, this isn't flippant. Like whenever you, you, you speak evil, when you say hateful things, you're standing in judgment of God. You're saying to God, what you have to say is ridiculous, stupid, and not worth my time. I'll do what I want and not what you want. And then for that matter, what you're doing is you're saying that to God, who is able, as James describes, he talks about his character. He's the lawgiver and the judge. That's his person. Then he talks about what he's able to do. It's like he's able to save and to destroy. And James says, no, like, this isn't to be characterized among us. It's not what we're to do. Well, you know, if you're like me, it's what you've done. You've, when I speak evil and hateful things, I'm saying in a sense to God, you're in my place. You step to the side, let me sit there. You're standing in my place, God. You're sitting in my place. And I'm the one that gets to decide what I want to do and don't want to do. So the question would be, like, how would God respond to such a thing? To the audacity. I suppose that's what makes our Lord Jesus Christ even that much more beautiful. And that I, I could look at God with audacity and say, you're in my place. And God would put Jesus in front of his wrath in my place. That he would put Jesus where I should be. A God who is able to save and destroy, but what will he do? He will punish his son to save people who say evil and hateful things like me. And when you behold that Christ, when you behold a God who is willing to stand, to stand in your place for you, you're going to be changed. And you'll say with the hymn writer, in my place, he stood condemned. With his blood, my pardon is sealed. Hallelujah. What a savior. We, we encounter that in the word about this great savior who stands in our place in spite of the things that we've thought, said, and done. And we encounter him and we see him in the Lord's Supper. You see, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. 
If you are a Christian, I invite you. After I get done praying and the musicians begin playing, there'll be stations throughout the auditorium. Come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice of the wine, whichever one your conscience permits, whichever one you prefer. The wine will be marked by a piece of twine. Please come, if you're a Christian, partake of the Lord's Supper with us. If you're not a Christian, I'd ask for you to respect our tradition and not to partake of the Lord's Supper. But I ask for you to take into account what it is that I've said today and what it is that God has said in His Word. And I pray that you will see that there is a God. His name is Jesus Christ, and He's inviting you to come to Him. Please believe in Him today. And then we can prepare you for communion on another day. There'll be stations throughout the auditorium. There'll be gluten-free elements to my left and to your right, if that will serve you. Let's pray together.